Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with We Go grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at We Go since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today, we talk to Joshua Swanner, class of 2001, an elementary school principal. Josh is going to share with us how the spark of WeGo's senior governance simulation began his interest in pursuing a career in education. Joining us today is class of 2001, Joshua Swanner. Josh, Joshua, what do you do? Hi, Brian. Uh, I am a principal at Greeley School. It's an elementary school in Winnetka, Illinois. Uh, some people might not know where, where Winneka is exactly, so I always say, uh, have you ever seen Home Alone? That's where that <laughs> house is. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, I think that situates everyone uh, right away. <laughs> the, uh, like the, you wave at the McAllister house on your way into work every day. Uh, so so you, you got into education, so you graduated from, uh, from West Chicago in 2001. Uh, where did you go from there? Where did you go to school? Yeah, um, you know, kind of interesting. I, I had no idea what I really wanted to do. Initially, I had a bunch of different ideas, you know, accounting, law enforcement, or possibly education. I uh, took a, a really good path, I think. I went to a community college, got my associate's degree, which saved me a whole ton of money, um, put myself through school. So that was a good move. And uh, from there, I went to NIU to get my um, degree in history and then teaching certification that went with that. What Just to, to uh, back up there for a second, what did yeah. you do to help put yourself through school? What was your job? Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Uh, I started 15 years old, you know, pushing carts at the uh, good old West Chicago Jewel Osco. Um, nice. Yeah, a lot of our students work there. That's great. Yeah, man. Climb that ladder. You know, by the yeah. time I was in college, <laughs> I was actually working in their service desk, which was really surprisingly very fun. So you head off. I also went to, to Northern Illinois uh, University oh. as well, uh, right before you. Uh, I graduated in 97. Uh, so uh, what did you what were some of the history classes that you took while you're there? Oh, man. Um, really great stuff. So uh, the age of restoration in Japan, industrial America. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of like political identity courses, things that tied into, um, American history. I was very much interested in, um, the founding of the country. And even then, like, I like some of those survey classes, you know, that are filled with like a hundred kids that everyone has to take. Even those were good, but my favorite by far, I, I took, um, I think his name was Dr. Arnold. It was a history of sports in the United States. And it was fascinating. I mean, we spent a whole week talking about backwoods wrestling and uh old school wrestling like fight club matches (laughs) yeah i I believe that wow yeah no i i think one of my favorite books uh of all time is um franklin foyer's how soccer explains the world it's what it's just a a great book where he takes each chapter as a, a focus on a particular country and he wraps the history of soccer in that country with a, a metaphor essentially. And it's, Uh it's so good. So good. So you, so you, you went to Northern and then, uh, so how do you then get into education from uh, your, your time at Northern? Yeah, it was kind of an interest. I mean, I look back and I'm like, what, how did that happen? Um, I 
went to an open house at NIU uh, towards the end of my time at College of DuPage, and I met with a group. I, I my mom, my memory's a little fuzzy how it happened exactly, but I went to this open house. I met with uh, some folks in early uh, early elementary education, and they you know interviewed me. They talked to me. And they told me on the spot, yeah, we don't, we don't really think you'd be a good fit for this program. And here I was like used to getting A pluses and everyone patting me on the back. And I was like, what? I was like in shock. (laughs) I remember calling my parents just driving back from that open house. Like, what do I do now? And actually one person in that meeting mentioned, maybe you're best suited for secondary education. So that's actually what I did. So um, from there, I actually, it was a teacher at Wego who really inspired me, um, Mr. Arnold and, uh, and Mr. Niels too, who had just this amazing American government simulation. And I really got into it and I was like, I want to teach this type of stuff. So I pursued my history degree and then a secondary education, which is essentially middle school, high school certificate to teach the social studies. So that's that's how it all came out. And, and in the end, it, I, I think it was okay for my career, how it all shook out. So where did you end up? Uh, where was your first uh, teaching job? Yeah, right next door uh, to West Chicago. I taught at Thompson Middle School in St. Charles, uh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade for four years before I came to Winneka as a uh, middle school social studies teacher over here. So uh, what brought you from St. Charles to uh, the North Shore? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, uh, and it's a, a tale of despair. Um, no, I, it was 2008. Um, as you know, uh, the, the market really started to collapse and the, the housing market anyway. And of course, you know, that drives, um, you know, some financial matters for school districts as well as some finding enrollment. Uh, so that school really did everything they could to keep me on. I, they had me teaching computers, this, that, and the other. And then I think it was 2009, 2010, they they had to let me go. And actually, I applied. Uh, there was a teacher surplus at that time. I must have filled out 80 to 100 applications, not even a call back. And I remember saying, like, all right, God, this is it. It was literally the last application I was willing to fill out. I sent it into to and I got a call back. So concurrently... Uh, they actually found a spot for me back at Thompson in St. Charles. But I said, you know, there's something about the school district way up north. I'll have to drive about three hours a day, but I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to take kind of the thing I'm not comfortable with. And uh, I chose Winnetka. Did you move closer to to your job? Uh, yeah, this part's going to make me sound like an idiot. Uh, no, I made that commute for about 10 years. My wife and I just moved <laughs> Uh, this past March on St. Patrick's Day, right as the pandemic was hitting, oh, so that, wow. that was something. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it. That it is. It's uh, saving time on the commutes. Always uh, such a such a. Um, I, I remember my first year teaching at WeGo. I was living in the city, and I, you know, I had all this like energy where I was like, "Well, I'm gonna." <laughs> I'm going to wake up. I'm going to walk to the bus, take the bus to the train, take the train to WeGo. And, and, <laughs> and then, you know, I'm waking up at like five and no, 445 in the morning. And um, and then I, one day I just kind of thought, I'm going to just do some quick math here. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm 
I'm in commute four hours a, a day. This yeah. is not sustainable. So that that didn't last. Uh, and- once I once I got that bug in my head, I'm like, this is gonna, this is not gonna. This that day. first day after you move closer, yeah, you you realize what you've been missing for. For me, it was, uh, you know, more than a quarter of my life. I know, and I know. This it, is amazing. Uh, too much. It's too much when you you put it all together. So, all right. So you go to. Uh, this new school. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. Say, say the name of the school that you went to. That when that is it the same school that you're at now? No, actually. So I uh, I taught at Washburn Middle School. That's a grade seven eight building. I was an assistant principal after that. It's the Skokie School, which is also located in Winneka. That's a grade five six building. And now I'm a principal of Greeley School. That's a K four building. Okay, so so you initially started off as just a, a teacher. Um, when did you when did you decide to make the leap into uh, administration? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, it's not really a romantic story. I think sometimes paths make themselves available to you when you're open to it. I began exploring administration when I was still in. St. Charles, I joined a master's program, a, a cohort with, with some of my peers. Um, and honestly, I, I'll be very honest with you. It was really just to climb like the, the, the pay scale and get that master's. But I'm in the middle of this coursework. I'm like, I, I really like this. But even then, I never sought out an administrative job. What had happened, my, my last year teaching, um, my, my wife was pregnant and I had met with the assistant superintendent of human resources at that time. And I worked with her just to organize family leave. And, you know, afterwards, when I returned from my leave, she said, you know, I was so impressed with just how you communicated and worked with me. And I really think you should apply for this assistant principal job. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And I was actually thinking about at the time um, leaving education and going into photography with one of my really good friends, a business together. And, you know, I just had this newborn son, um, Hadley. I love him. And um, I I determined it's probably best for now to go with the the safer approach. And it turned out to be something that grew on me more and more as I did it. So it's funny, you know, like oftentimes you come across people in your life, they, they show you parts of yourself that they recognize things in you that you don't see in yourself. Um, and that was certainly the case here. And, and, you know, it's something I keep with me forever. Now it's as a educational leader, what, what are some special things in people that I see that, that maybe they don't and how can I pay that forward and help them capitalize on it? Wow, that was I mean, just what a special opportunity to kind of avail yourself to that type of advice and, and kind of see uh, that in yourself. And that actually kind of gets to a question that uh, I was thinking about before, which is like, so in this position as a leader, as, as, a, as a principal, you know, you have so many different personality types and um with on your faculty and obviously it's you know this is a very challenging year and during covid and all that but even before uh covid how did what what's kind of like a, a really good like leadership strategy to kind of bring everyone into the mission of the school 
I love that question. And actually, that's something I'm passionate about. And the more I think about it, it applies to to many fields and, and jobs, if not all of them. It applies to our personal life. I think really one of the things that I focus on is just shut up and listen. And there's a difference between hearing somebody and listening to somebody. And, you know, as a young buck, even when I first started in administration, it's like you're always thinking about the next thing to say. And that's that's not wise. Um, so what I, you know, when I interact with people, I really listen to them, actively listen, draw, draw them out, ask questions, really get to the heart of who they are and, and, and what they're trying to accomplish. And I think when you do that, um, you connect on a human level. I think you gain mutual respect. And I think then you can really start um, either, you know, figuring out differences and moving forward or joining, joining together to create something really interesting or cool. Um, but at the end of the day, you respect people by, by listening. I, I remember that was one of the first quotes I think that I would put on a, a, a syllabus when I was a young teacher was there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I thought that was, uh, I think it was an Arab proverb. I think that I, if I came across it first, I'm like, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, in your, in your job, you know, you get to observe teachers and their craft and, and all of that, like, how do you know when you're in the presence of just a master educator? So just someone who just has that um, uh, presence and gravitas, as they say, uh, when they're in the classroom, what is it that you see that they, that all of those types of teachers have? Oh, that's such a great question. I, you know, I could probably write a couple books on it. I, <laughs> you, you know, there's something, there's something about it when you walk into a room I, I like emotionally, I describe there's like an energy that is so thick you could cut it with a knife. Like the, you know, the the students want to be there. They want to be there because their teacher wants to be there. Um, you, you know, I say kids, but it could be a good teacher even in college or in a doctoral program for that matter. But they have a way of relating. They have a way of making things relevant. Um, they are open to the student leading sometimes. Um, I think that's very important. You know, I think teachers are very much used to control. But in my opinion, master teachers are able to turn some of that power over, sometimes a lot of it over, to the, to the students. And have them have them lead. I think that's a huge element there. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's very true, uh, and and that that can only happen in an environment where the teacher has made it feel safe, comfortable, where those types of risks and where that sense of control can be uh, let go of, and really mm -hmm. allow the students to uh, to run with it. Um, you know, which kind of brings me to to the next question, which is like, so that's what you observe uh, in, in the classroom. But, you know, you've also had to make the call in 
how you hire and, and you know, when you're interviewing uh, prospective teachers that show up at your school uh, for that job, what, wh- how, how does that, how does a successful interview come across uh, from, or when, when you, when you observe it, what is it that they uh, are able to kind of radiate or impress upon you during the, the interview? Yeah. Have you ever heard of Gary V? No. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember how to actually pronounce his name. He goes by Gary V, but it's like Vaynerchuk or something like that. He's just, he's like this huge, like business guru, but he said something really important that stuck with me, which is honestly, um, it's really about not who you bring on, but who you're willing to let go. And that sounds really cold, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of truth to that because when you think about it, you know, there are good interviewers, but just because someone interviews well does not mean they're going to be successful. You're, if you think about it, especially with teachers, I mean, most teachers want to find a home and, and be there for quite some time, if not their entire career. So you're taking a one hour interview, maybe there's two of them before you hire somebody and saying, okay, after these two hours, I'm entrusting you with the education of children for the next decade, decades. So really the question is when you see somebody who isn't performing, um, and again, we all have room for improvement, but somebody who really needs help, two parts. Are you willing to provide the support they need to succeed? And if you have and it's not working, are you willing to do the difficult thing and let them go? Yeah. You've been out of the classroom for how many years now? Uh, so this would be, let me think, this is my sixth year in administration. What do you miss about it? What do you miss about the classroom? You know, it's funny. Um, my phone crashed this morning and I was able to like get it going again. And I was like, man, I better back this up. And I'm, I'm flipping through these photos. And it's funny that the very last day I cleaned out my classroom before moving um to my office as an assistant principal. I took like a panorama, you know, with my iPhone. And I saw that picture just this morning and I was like, it was like this hurt in my stomach. Like I really, I just, I, I love what I do, but a part of me really mourns losing that experience. I, I love having this energetic space where you allow kids just to be themselves and just to joke with them and not take yourself seriously and establish trust and just have fun with one another. And that's what leads to the solid gold. Like that's what leads to the learning. And some of that's applicable too from a, from, you know, the relationship between a principal and teacher, but that classroom, I, I really miss that day-to-day interaction with the students. I, I truly do. Now you said you were considering um, photography. Uh, <laughs> that's a, a big hobby of, of yours. I was wondering, uh, I actually, I just finished uh, editing a, a podcast uh, with a student who's a photojournalist uh, just now. And I, I was wondering if like, do you see any kind of connection between like what appears to be like a very big hobby of yours, photography? And does, does that does that hobby in any way inform what you do and how you see your job as an educator? That's a great question. And, um, you know, I think there's actually a metaphor there. I mean, I, I, I mean, just to go back a little bit, I actually took a film photography class at WeGo 
uh, when I was a senior. And by then, you know, I was a really good student, but I just, it just, my heart wasn't in it at the time. It was the only class I ever got a C in. Much less like anything. Senior, it's hard to imagine that that would be the case. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, you know, I just I just wasn't taking it seriously, and I, my heart just wasn't in it. I actually went to photography um, just to prove to my older brother that I could do something better than him and take better pictures, um, and I, I fell in love with it. But you know, the interesting thing about photography is you only see in the, in a photo what the photographer wants you to see outside of the boundaries of the photo. There is an entire like infinite world. You don't see that. And that applies to working with so many different constituents and walks of life, you know, parents, teachers, students, um, my superiors, it's everybody comes into a situation with their frame, their cropped image. And I think when we really try to understand each other, and like I was saying, just to listen, that hard line of where the image ends begins to blur. And you get to start to see beyond the initial picture, if you will. And I think that's really important because there's like we always bring more to a situation than we even realize ourselves subconsciously our our experiences inform who we are so if i have a parent in my office and they're really upset about um you know a social interaction between their kids of course that that parent loves their child but there might be so much more there they might be concerned about their child's ability to make friends they might be thinking back on what they experienced as a child Maybe they know more about the other student uh, who's involved with their son or daughter than I know. So how can we see past the crap, if you will? I, yeah. I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's, I think we're seeing so much of that, you know, uh, with especially teaching, if you have to teach remotely, uh, you have even less ability to see uh, what the struggles are of the students as they're um, trying to make their way through this new environment and all that for sure. So uh, what has, it, I, I would imagine that um, when you're going through your cohort uh, that there was, uh, it, that it lacked the chapter uh, about how to uh, be an administrator doing during a uh, global pandemic. Uh, what was, uh, how has been, What's the what's the what's been it like to be an administrator and principal uh, during this time? Um, this is the most difficult thing I think I've ever done in my life professionally. Um, I've had other hardships personally that I think are far tougher, but not many. Um, be because involved in this. Um, is what I taught. I mean, exactly kind of what you're referencing with my, my photography reference, but it's, it's really, you know, people's experiences they bring to the table here. So, you know, their anxiety, like we're in a hybrid model. So kids are in our building, most kids, some are all remote, but they're in our building for half the day and the other half, you know, they're, they're working remotely and, you know, it will my child succeed. Um, Will this, you know, are they falling behind? Uh, 
you know, am I going to get sick? Um, you know, we, there's, there's a political element to this, right? Yeah. Depend, you know, depending on what people value, um, there's a scientific element, what people value with science um, and conflicting science sometimes in some instances. So really it's, um, I, I think the principle remains the same though, if you listen. And, and here's the thing, I, the one thing I've learned as a principle, if you try to please everybody, you will fail miserably. So really, it's if you if you listen to people and you're listening to their needs and wants, sometimes your answer to them is no, and sometimes your answer is yes, and sometimes it's not today. But if you establish that relationship and show that you're really listening to what they're saying and you can even repeat what they're saying back to them and you can reflect it, I think that that creates this trust, you know, um, and, and it makes the no a little bit easier or the not today a little bit easier to hear. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So what do you how would what do you predict? How, how do you predict education is going to change once? Uh, we have teachers, you know, vaccinated. Kids are back in the building. Do you think we'll go back to a um, um, the way things used to be, or do you think that there'll be some type of um, adaptation or evolving in education as a result of what's happened this past year and a half? It's a wonderful question. Um, gee, I, I hope it wouldn't go back to being the exact same. Um, because there's an X factor here, right? I, I think I think we're seeing right now that a lot of people know a whole lot more about education than we thought, and a lot of people know a whole lot less about education than we thought. <laughs> well said. And, yeah. and and I think I think what's attached to this, you know, if you think about policymaking and and decision making in terms of education and it's largely left up to the state. I mean, the federal government does have some level of control depending on the community and funding, but you know, the, the X factor is you have all these different emotions, values and wants that you have to reconcile right now during the pandemic. You know, most people erroneously, they think school can change on a dime. Uh, but there's a level of, I would say, almost like symbiosis or equilibrium that can be upended with a pandemic. It's like people think that that education sometimes is like this agile institution where you can just change direction like a speedboat, but it's really more like a tanker. It's like an ocean liner. And I, I, I sometimes I wonder coming out of this pandemic, um, some folks are going to be looking for some change right out the gate. Um, but I think some of it's going to be more gradual. This idea of learning remotely is very interesting to me. Do, do I think students learn best in person? I think most do, but what about those that don't? So wh what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of staffing? Um, and I do, I think sometimes, you know, you got to MacGyver things is kind of the joke in our district, but it's like, what, how can you put something together moving forward that kind of 
honors the way everybody learns because some, some kids and you know, not all, but some kids are thriving remotely. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking too, because if we, if, if there's evidence that a student found a type of, uh, as you say, a way to thrive in that, why would we want to take that away from that student if they could somehow show evidence of a continued um, uh, ascent in their learning in that way? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. Well said. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is the, the, the time of, of the interview where I like to ask, uh, and you've, you've really had so many great ideas about advice for success and all that, but I was wondering if you could maybe uh, round us up today with uh, what would be a tip for success for current Wildcats as they, uh, as they head into their future? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at a cursory like glance, you know, if, if, if I were to say like, you know, growth mindset, that that's such like a, I mean, it's kind of like a cliche, but there's something really to it. So you talked about like what makes, how do I know a teacher is like an expert teacher? And I described what the classroom feels like, but there's a second piece to that, Brian, when we sit down together, to discuss what I saw. Are they willing to listen to me just as I'm willing to listen to them? The person that thinks they have it all figured out, no matter how good they are, they are doomed for failure. Maybe they'll succeed in some way in, you know, their business or their occupation but they will not realize their full potential. Like I like to look, I, I love the last dance. I don't know if you saw that documentary. Oh, come on. Of course. Oh, man. So, <laughs> I, and I think this was in the last dance or maybe I just heard it elsewhere, but I remember like Michael Jordan, all right, who, by the way, LeBron, get out of here. Um, <laughs> you know, saying I I'm great. I need to work on my free throws and having the humility to talk to Steve Kerr, about how to up his free throw percentage. I mean, never mind the fact he punched Steve Kerr in the face once, but right. to to have that that maybe not humility, but that hunger to grow. And I found that this actually carries over also into family life. It's you know, it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift as a person and, and get out of good habits. It's easy to take your partner or spouse for granted. Um, and really just having a hunger to be better, to be a better dad, to be more present, to be an active listener to my wife, to really care what my son has to say, even though he's telling me for the 50th time. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you meet with your boss, are you open to what they have to say? Or are you going to say, I ah, doesn't know what he's talking about. She doesn't know what she's talking about and, and call it a day because you're missing out on a, on an opportunity to really refine yourself. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's, a, that's perfect. Um, Joshua, 
Thank you so much for your time today and uh, best of luck uh, with the, the rest of the school year. And I hope uh, everything is going to uh, get back to uh, a, a, a good, healthy learning environment for everyone very soon at your school and obviously for us at WeGo as well. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I, I just have to say um, thank you. And you're doing such an awesome thing here because I have to like WeGo was something special to me. Um, what a, what a tremendous time in my life. And the, the teachers there are amazing. And institutionally, it's, I, I've seen a bunch of different schools. I've, I've worked in a bunch of different schools. I have to say, um, we go, we go something special. So keep up the good work and, uh, best wishes and best of luck to you too, as, uh, you, uh, head into the second half of the school year. Cool. Thank you so much, Josh. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple Music, Podcasts, and search WeGoVox.